Tusk is coming to Blu-ray and digital on December 2nd. Justin Long and Michael Parks take you on the strangest cinematic journey yet. Pre-order Tusk on iTunes, Amazon Instant Video, or pick up a Blu-ray DVD copy signed by Kevin Smith from The Secret Stash. Geek News Reviews Commentary Not just another podcast On uh, the Ordinary People Podcast Insert random joke here Now here comes your host Kyle A. Baird Of the World Steve Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast, proud new member of the Smodco family from the West Coast. This is Kyle Aver. I'm a voice actor for animation and video games, also the voice of Smodco Internet Radio. And your co-host from the East Coast, Otherworld Steve. I am an amateur historian and a musician. Amateur historian? What makes you so amateur about it? I don't have a degree. All right, you're, you're pretty amateur then. Yeah, yeah. But you're a professional amateur. I am a professional amateur, yes. And one day you'll be an amateur professional historian musician. That would be interesting. I want business cards to say that. That's right. And you were you're telling you you were telling our our uh, our chat room right before we we launched that you're going to be in a death metal band soon. I'm thinking about it. Back in uh, 1991, I fronted a death metal band called uh, Respect for the Dead. We played fairly frequently. We had a, a four song demo that was out that got a little bit of attention, some uh, airplay. And I got an offer to refront the band. I don't know. You know, a lot's changed since then. I don't know if these these pipes can hold up to that kind of scrutiny anymore. <laughs> the people that sing death metal, man, they got to have great breath control. And and th- there's probably all sorts of, of of tidbits that voice actors could could actually, you know, benefit from. Because I don't know how you know, like like for years, Brian Johnson from ACDC, I thought he was screaming at the top of his lungs. And apparently, like, you can't really do that if you scream at the top of your lungs. And so, okay, maybe they just turn his mic up really loud. I saw that wonderful documentary, I Know That Voice. And um, I forget exactly which voice actor did it, but they showed a technique about screaming without actually screaming and doing damage to your vocal cords. And that was impressive. I did it completely wrong. I'll be the first to admit I just screamed. What you heard is what you got with without any technique. And... Uh, about halfway through each set, I would just douse my throat with chloroseptic. <laughs> and this is why you sound like this now, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And uh, that's just putting a Band-Aid on it. So every show, I would just do more and more and more vocal cord damage. So I, uh, I left that band with vocal cord damage and a perforated eardrum. That's awesome. So I played drums in marching band, and then I had a I had a five piece kit, uh, like a Black Ludwig with Zildjian cymbals, and I, I just played like jammed with friends and stuff. Never in a band. I kind of wanted to be, but uh, the only side effect I had from that is, uh, I guess it's tinnitus, where your ears ring constantly. I've been going to like rock concerts and um, all that fun stuff. Uh, I, I would hear the ringing in my ears thanks to, you know, cranking up the headphones, not using earplugs at concerts, and then here we are today. I now have to sleep with a fan on and lots of white noise because the silence is deafening. Oh, tinnitus is horrible to, to have that constant ringing in the air. I was, uh, I was that badass, tough guy. Earplugs, please, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. I'm, I'm not wearing earplugs. Here I am in my 40s, certainly paying for it. Yeah, so kids, just just remember, you go to a concert, you're not going to look like a douche by putting in earplugs because it's nice to, ha- to have that, that sense of hearing when you get older. I My ears rang for like three days straight 
after I saw the industrial metal band Ministry in concert, and they were so loud. And, you know, I enjoyed the show, and then afterwards I noticed that, uh, boy, that ringing was way louder than normal, and it stayed that way. And I thought, oh, my God, did I just lose hearing? I probably did. But now I bring earplugs to concerts. I don't necessarily wear them. I kind of gauge. Because, you know, you can stick the earplugs in too far, and then it's not loud enough. Uh... It's loud. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. So you guys are probably listening to us going, why the hell are these two guys on uh, on the network? How do you get a show? Um, like I, I was saying on the, on the intro, I uh, do the voice work. I write the promos and voice uh, in my own natural voice and as the character of Sir Dude right here on Smodgo Internet Radio. Uh, so I do that stuff um, from home. Uh, Will Wilkins from the NetHeads podcast here on Smodco uh, is kind of my go-between, the guy who emails me and goes, hey, we need promo, so I start recording. So about a year ago, um, I kind of pitched to him that I said, hey, you know, me and my friend Steve here, we did a podcast about geek news, and I think it would be a good fit for the network. What do you think? You know, we'll do a test episode and send it in. And we did, heard nothing, and then fast forward to now, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, Kevin Smith says thumbs up, go for it. Like, what? what? Oh, oh, okay. So, yay, here we are. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, big uh, shout out to Smodco and Kevin Smith for the opportunity. We thank you, sirs. Yes, thank you, sirs, right here on Sir and Smodco and all that all that awesome stuff. I've been a huge fan of Kevin Smith since the first Clerks movie. Uh, and I, God, I, I could swear there's an inside joke directly related to me. In his new movie, Tusk, there's a moment when uh, Ralph Garman appears as a character named Detective Frank Garman. And I miss I I mislabeled uh, Ralph and called him Frank when I send in my uh, intro VO to the Hollywood Babylon podcast just as a goof. Because I figure other listeners were sending in produced intros to the segments. What if what if a VO guy introduces the show and I would just be like the typical like movie trailer narrator and just send it in as like let's it's time to babble the fuck on and so I send that in and they laugh and everything but I fuck up uh, Ralph's name and I call him Frank so Frank gets like oh fuck you buddy <laughs> and it was it was really really funny and Kevin goes hey we're, I like that guy's voice that's good Kyle Abear let let's hire him so I got to I got on board once uh, Smodco Internet Radio launched. Uh, what was it like three or four years ago? Yeah, it's a good gig. I don't, it's, it's not like I hang out with Kevin Smith or anything, but uh, I see him like once or twice a year. He actually knows me. He's like, hey, he gives me a big hug. I'm like, hey, Kyle, woo It's like, all right, this is good. This is good. This is cool. So, um, again, uh, thanks to, of course, Kevin Smith and everyone else in the Smodco family for giving us this opportunity. Uh, we will take advantage of it. Don't know how long we'll be around, but hopefully you guys like what you hear because, um, the folks who listen to this network, the demographic, I think would dig the sort of things that we dig. We're geeks. We love talking technology and games and movies and comics and, you know, nerd shit. We love all that stuff. You guys watch Comic Book Men on AMC. We're kind of cut from the same mold. So that that's kind of where we come from. So we want to take a little bit to introduce kind of, you know, our background. I'm 45. I grew up in the 70s. Uh, growing up, I was all about the Adam West Batman. I love shows like Land of the Lost and anime before anime was a, was a word. 
Star Blazers, Battle of the Planets, you know, even Speed Racer. So as a kid, you know, it's like, I have no idea how terrible this is. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I take my, my turntable and have a pretend radio station and record parody commercials with my cassette recorder, um, all that stuff. And I, I cranked all my Kiss records and Queen and Aerosmith. And then the high school days, I was, I was big into you know, Metallica, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, uh, and then through the 80s, my, my musical spectrum kind of widened and I got into all the stuff when MTV started, you know, when they, you know, their heyday, when they started playing music, uh, I got into like some pop, some electronica, experimental, industrial, and, you know, nowadays I'm mostly a metalhead. Um, I mean, I'm still all over the spectrum. I love people like Trent Reznor, Devin Townsend, Jack White. They're all musical geniuses in my book. And it's like, Jack White, that's not metal. It's like, no, it's not. But I, I dig him anyway. I think he's a force to be reckoned with. That's just me. But anyway, back to vinyl. Jack White, Jack White got me back into vinyl. I love collecting vinyl now, like limited collector things, horror soundtracks, 45s. Um, I love technology. I'm an iPhone guy. I did have an Android phone. I had the Samsung Note 3 for six months because I wanted a bigger screen. And then the 6 Plus came out, so I went back just because I'm used to it. I'm, uh, the Android system worked just fine, but um, I've been an Apple guy for a long time. And then I got a Mac a couple years back, so having that integration for all the devices just working together, really nice. Uh, I enjoy smartwatches. I have a Pebble. I have a Pebble Steel. I had a Samsung Gear Fit and a Gear 2. Traded those in, of course, because they don't work with Apple. I got a Kinetic Steampunk watch. That is totally badass looking, but hardly works because you have to keep your arm in motion to keep it wound. So you could insert your joke now. It's like, well, just keep fapping. That'll keep it wound. Right. I guess. I don't know. And then I have, I like real time pieces too. I got like a $12 bad Chinese knockoff watch that looks like it has red dragon scales on it. But, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I also enjoy uh, games. I'm a terrible gamer. I'm a, I'm a button masher. I have a really short attention span, so I'll play a game for like 20 minutes or maybe for a, a couple of times over the course of several weeks and then never touch it again. I even have games still in the shrink wrap. I have movies in the shrink wrap. But uh, yeah, my Xbox 360, I have Xbox One, PS3, PS4, Vita, 3DS. Um, I played a little bit of all the current big titles like Destiny, Call of Duty, Titanfall, Alien Isolation, Sunset Overdrive. I mean, they're all a lot of fun, but I'm looking like, oh, whoa, shiny. Uh, so, yeah, short attention span. I, I, I'm hopeless. I, I need my multiplayer friends on co-op to help me level up because I'm just that bad. But I admit it, and that's all I got to say about that. Other than loving movies, Star Wars transformed my life when I was a kid in the 70s. I love sci-fi. I love action, horror. I love comedies. I love film. I love Tarantino. Uh, Scorsese. I love the occasional drama, but uh, overall, I like genre films uh, mostly. I love animation, obviously, and um, big fan of of anime and and cartoons in general. I was raised on a diet of, of Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes, um, and nowadays I get to work in the fields that I used to idolize growing up because I've always wanted to be a voice actor. Now I do that professionally, which is really really awesome. And now here I am podcasting talking about things that I love to talk about. So that's a little insight into me, Kyle, your host. Now a little bit more about Otherworld Steve. I had to laugh a little bit during your introduction <clears throat> because it, it's funny how yin and yang we are. There's a lot that we have uh, 
a similar interest, common interest, but there's so much. It's like, nope, 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 nope. Uh, I don't wear watches. Um, I ha- I just bought a pocket watch recently. How weird is that? I, I bet you're thinking. But um, yeah, I bought a pocket watch. Video games. Um, uh, also funny listening to you talking about it. It's wild being a parent and having uh, two young boys during this console generation. There, there are just so many uh, consoles that are still viable. I'll still bust out the PS1 from time to time, play some classic uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1, uh, as my kids enjoy that. A lot of PS2, a lot with the Dragon Ball Z games. My kids, of course, huge Dragon Ball Z fans, like their old man. So we have a blast doing that. We just, the three of us, platinumed um, Lego Marvel superheroes, which, you know, don't underrate that. If, if uh, Even if you're older, 30s, 40s, give it a shot. I think they did a great job bringing the Marvel Universe to a um, kid-friendly video game, but it still retained a lot of the uh, different characteristics of each character. So very, very fun game to play and actually has a, a bit of a, not a learning curve, but it, it definitely increases in difficulty. Uh, now, a little bit more about myself. Um, I'm a musician. I'm in a band called Perimeter of the Void. We have two albums available. You can go to eberecords.com. Check that out if you like. The first one, uh, we've been giving away for free, so I'll reestablish that link, and if you want to download the first album, we'll make that available. Um, and since way back, since... Uh, since 2007, I've been working on a book, which hopefully we'll see publication next year. Um, not to bore a lot of the, the listening audience, it's nonfiction, which as soon as you have the words nonfiction, it's a, it's a history piece. It uh, tells the tale of the uh, offensive and defensive problems with mosquitoes in North America from the time of the Civil War to the present. Uh, yeah, isn't that invigorating? I want to read about that. But again, hopefully that'll be out next year. I'll talk a lot more about that as we lead up to that. And uh, that's kind of about me in a nutshell. A lot of the things Kyle said uh, apply to me as well. Grew up with the old anime. Continued to watch anime until probably about four or five years ago. It was tough for me because uh, Full Metal Alchemist, the the first version of that show, not Brotherhood. uh, I haven't watched Brotherhood all the way through and not for any negative reasons. Just, Just haven't had a chance to do that. But the first series was so good, I couldn't find anything after that that really compared, so I kind of waned off anime for a bit. Don't really watch a lot of network television. I do admit my guilty pleasure is Big Bang Theory. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, it is, truly. I, I, I am a diehard Big Bang, Big Bang fan. But other than that, um, History Channel documentaries, things of that nature, uh, just trying to keep that uh, senile brain, just trying to squeeze out the last you know, drops left in it. Do you, uh, do you put any, uh, merit to some of the, the online critics? Cause people through social media, you know, they, they can be pretty vocal about whatever, you, you know, fill in the blank topic, the success of big bang theory. They're saying, Oh yeah, it's terrible because it's, it, it, it's actually poking fun at geeks. It's not written by geeks. I don't know. How, how do you interpret that? You think the, you think they're, they're, they're making more fun of, the the demographic that's watching the show or or is it respectful tongue in cheek i think there was a lot of it i think there there are some blatant instances of 
making those references where if, if it hits a little too close to home, you could certainly find that offensive. My bigger problem with the show is it's going into its eighth season now, I believe. It, it's just turned into a very formulaic, typical sitcom. It's lost a lot of its zing, a lot of its pizzazz. Here's a show that got hot and then all of a sudden, you know, instead of one-year deals, they're talking three-year deals. And I don't know if it's going to ride it out to its conclusion successfully. It's it's starting to peter out. I, I feel that. Unfortunately, the same applies to a lot of the shows I originally dug watching on History Channel, like um, Pawn Stars, American Restorations, where I understand it's, it, it's schlock pandering to the masses, but I enjoy getting a lot of the um, historical facts about some of the pieces they're talking about. And they, they shifted more to the commercial end. And uh, once they partnered with Subway and all of a sudden the guys are going out for lunch and picking up lunch at Subway. And I see commercials in between the show. I don't want to see commercials during the show. I, I'm just frustrated with television in general, I think. And, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, the internet just opens up everything for everyone. I, I was talking to you last night, and I remember um, commenting about Big Hero 6. It's it's the big Marvel animated film that's out right now. Every boy, you know, 4 to 15, should be wetting their pants with anticipation to go out and see this in, in theaters. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I have two boys. They're 4 and 7. And the trailer was on TV, and I said, hey, look, you know, that looks really interesting. You guys want to go check that out? And I was shocked at the response because they essentially just uh, shrugged their shoulders at me, like, eh, you know, whatever. And I was a little uh, little disjointed there, like, what's that response about? And then I thought about it for a minute. My kids have tablets. My kids have um, PS3. They have a computer. They get that instant gratification. Anything they want to see, they can type into that Google bar and see it that that stuff most likely is going to exist if you want to see giant robots fighting giant lizards you type that into google boom you can watch giant robots fighting giant lizards so they live in this such on-demand instant gratification bubble that there's almost no anticipation in like leaving the house to go have that experience yeah i mean i have a daughter who's 18 and uh she has a tablet and a phone, and of course, instant access to whatever videos or, or things she wants to check out and everything. But she does still have interest in going to the movies and all that. She loved Big Hero 6. She saw it before I did, so she didn't have to drag me kicking and screaming. I wanted to see it. I was just busy when she saw it the first time. And so I, so I went with her, kept an open mind, and I actually was kind of like, eh, it's good. It's all right. You know, uh, I, I can see little, you know, 10-year-olds just totally loving this, and this will be like Star Wars to them uh, and everything. But the story just felt a little too telegraphed. I kind of felt like, oh, this beat leads to this beat, and here comes this reveal, and then that reveal, and uh, dare I say a little bit predictable. I mean, Baymax is, of course, really, really cute and lovable and all that that fun stuff and the voice works really top notch. The animation's gorgeous, not knocking that. Um, but, uh, is the old Disney magic in there? I, I don't know. I mean, I li- I did like it better than frozen because I thought frozen was way overhyped. I thought, uh, uh, tangled was a better movie. If you're going to compare two uh, recent Disney musicals, but, uh, yeah, big hero six. I don't know. I mean, it, it's doing so well, that you know, Marvel probably uh, greenlight a sequel, and I'm sure kids will be all over that. Or if they don't do a sequel, maybe they'll do a direct-to-video or 
or an animated series. It just seems like the way of the way things go. I'm kind of surprised with the saturation of Marvel via Disney that they haven't announced an animated film utilizing the more traditional Marvel characters. Yeah, yeah. I, guess, I mean, I guess that's funny. You can almost see a hybrid in the Disney Infinity 2.0 stuff because they launched the Marvel characters this year. Um, so it's 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 kind of going that way. I mean, maybe they're trying to just test the waters with that. I know there's a new. I mean, currently there's an Avengers animated series because they rebooted the Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which they didn't need to do, but they did. Uh, recast everybody, started over, and now you got Guardians of the Galaxy coming out as an animated series, and. You know, you gotta wonder. It's like, is this just gonna is this gonna be too much? Because uh, we were talking when we said, like, what are we gonna talk about on our first podcast? And it's like, well, hey, the Marvel DC slate. My God, that'll <laughs> that thing writes itself. As far as the animated shows, I, I have to admit, I really dig the new Avengers. I also dig Ultimate Spider-Man. I love the direction that they've gone with uh, in that show. Kind of weird, Spider-Man being an agent of Shield. Um, but they're two very good shows. I also like uh, Agents of Smash, Hulk and the Agents of Smash. Um, again, it's it's these are things I didn't. I don't think I would have normally watched, but I, when watching it with my kids, it, it brings us all to that same level. You know, <laughs> like mentally, I'm sitting there drooling and munching on snacks, just like they are, just totally engrossed in the action going on on the screen. <laughs> but yeah, I, you you uh, you brought up something that I, I you know. I don't know if there's going to be a backlash for this, but it really bothers me this oversaturation of Marvel. I've always been a Marvel fan. I've always had always had a preference of Marvel over DC. Mm-hmm. Always, I've always been a Marvel fanboy. I've always been a Spider-Man fanboy. And um, you know, the recent release slate of all these films coming out, it genuinely bothers me. This is the shit like I, leave, I lose sleep over at night because. It's so unnecessary. It's so corporate. It's so packaging of something that should be more endearing and innocent and, uh, you know, more more in tune to the way the comics were. The comics would leave you on these cliffhangers and you'd bite your nails in anticipation waiting to see what happened to this character. And you'd have to wait until the following month and pick up that issue. Um, but when you're laying on a slate that goes for six years I think it starts taking away some of that anticipation. When you go and you see the next iteration, which is going to be, you know, Avengers Age of Ultron, you're not going to leave the movie wondering what's going to happen next. Their their plot for the next six years is lined out for you. Mm-hmm. On a side note, before we started recording, I watched the trailer for the Peanuts movie. And uh, nerd rage from Go because it starts with a Christmas motif. And the text comes up on the screen and says, next Christmas. Here's a film that's not coming out for another 13 months. I don't need to see a trailer for it now. I can wait until, you know, next fall, start hitting me with the trailers for Peanuts. Um, I don't know what happened. I don't know when this paradigm shift happened where every studio felt, we have to tell you our slate for the next two decades so you can prepare yourself mentally and financially for it. And then we have to give you trailers that give away way too much. And we have to keep releasing more and more clips with more and more scenes as it gets closer to the release date. I've, I've got friends that they definitely are interested in seeing it, but they just like, I don't want to spoil anything. I want to actually go into a movie and enjoy it. I remember 
the late 90s, like say 97 on, I think we would go to the force.net and learn the Star Wars prequel news every day. You'd find spoilers and it's like, oh, here's what Darth Maul looks like and all that. And by the time you watch the movie, you know what's going to happen. So you just want to get to the next scene. I want to see this play out and this play out. And then suddenly you're not immersed in the story anymore. Not that you could anyway, because it's terrible. But <laughs> the anticipation was there. So I'm, I'm specifically trying to avoid spoilers. I do watch all the trailers. I don't necessarily watch all the clips, though, because I think that that gets crazy, too. But uh, uh, the Marvel universe i i can appreciate what they're going for in the sense that we are a really we are on demand we as a society are really short attention span they got to throw the next thing as quick as possible before it loses steam uh take for instance the powerpuff girls movie remember that movie came out probably five to ten years too late uh had they struck when the iron was hot you know, you'd have the movie hit theaters while it's still number one on Cartoon Network at the time, but it came way after the fact and it didn't do that well and it just kind of fizzled. And you're thinking, okay, well, it takes years to develop the movies. It takes years to do the animation. Of course, in the, in the sense of the Marvel Universe, the cinematic universe, all of these huge effect sequences and, you know, with Matt Fraction and, and uh, everybody behind the scenes all, all working together trying to, to, to brainstorm some big hoo-ha, brouhaha about uh, how this movie's going to tie into this one, but not this one, and then this one. Um, yeah, it does take some of the mystery away, but I guess they know, thanks to the track record, that people will go and see it. They have their fan base. Ever since Iron Man in 2008, people will gladly throw their money at these Marvel movies. You know, Even the ones that don't do as well still do really well. <laughs> But, you know, between Marvel and DC, let's throw Fox in for good measure, too. Hey, while while we're at it, let's throw in Sony while we're at it, too, with Spider-Man. We have a, a slate going into the next decade with, say, 20 films. We already know what they are, when they're coming out. I think the scary part about all that is all it takes is the next Batman and Robin to crumble this entire house. If If, you know... Age of Ultron is going to come out and it's going to knock it out of the park, absolutely. Just based on the trailer alone, it looks epic. It looks incredible. I'm more concerned about what's going to happen with the Avengers lineup once you start taking out Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Chris Helmsworth, et cetera, et cetera, start replacing him. And these are already B-list Marvel characters, so you're going to be replacing them with C-list and D-list characters. Is there going to be a, a tipping point where it becomes so far removed from what it started out from that it's either going to become satirical or people are just going to lose interest with, with that and with the oversaturation. And then what if that happens four years from now? What What's those next four or five years going to be like? Is it going to be like, you know, the video game bust when, when Atari released E.T. and everybody just loses faith and backs away from the franchise? I think it'd be interesting if I were like a 10-year-old kid when the first Marvel Cinematic movies come out, and then I'm getting older, and then I'm in high school and seeing the end of Phase 1, and then Phase 2 starts, and then I'm in college and Phase 3 starts. These are like what Star Wars was for, for us growing up in the, in the late 70s and early 80s. It's kind of a, you know, I'll, I'll stick with it to the bitter end. I mean, of course, you lose some people along the way. It's like, oh, yeah, it's oversaturated, oversaturated. Everyone wanted to see the Incredible sequel, which Brad Bird wants to make. 
but you know he's working on a Disney live action movie of Tomorrowland, which looks awesome. But uh, everyone says, "Come on, do Incredibles too. You're, you're missing this window of opportunity." Well, maybe that's the point. You know, he wants to put out a good story, and he wants to make sure it's something that's going to, I think, have a cultural impact. They they have almost that responsibility to that generation that if you're going to put it out, yeah, you're going to hope that it's going to be a box office success, but it also has to have that cultural resonance to it, and that that's where. Pixar has always really exceeded. The majority of their films are just instant classics for, from day one when they're hitting the theater. Um, I think that that the the prospect is certainly there that a studio like Sony or Fox could put out such an abomination that it's just going to have ripples with DC and Marvel, and you're going to see that just the whole franchise of superhero films get shaken. I don't think it's sustainable for decades. I think they saw dollar signs with uh, Nolan's Batman films and, and uh, Raimi's Spider-Man films, and everybody jumped on that bandwagon. We, we've seen it happen before. We've seen it happen with the, the horror genre in the 80s, where every director made a horror film because that was the big thing to capitalize on, the westerns of the, the 50s and 60s, um, the the exploitation films. I think this is just another genre that is only meant to last for a certain period. Yeah, we got uh, we have a chat room. When we uh, record our episodes, we actually uh, stream live uh, and we, we we tweet the link at our Twitter, which is at BB Broadcast. And uh, we stream our audio stream. We have a chat room set up and uh, people are in there going, oh, yeah, well, Brad Bird is doing Incredibles 2. And they're saying that oh, summer 2016. I don't know if that would happen that fast. I mean, these 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 CG animated movies usually take on average four years to develop. So, Incredibles two may be on the slate, but um, I mean, was that one of the ones that that Pixar has announced? Because I know they said you know Finding Nemo two and Toy Story four and all that. I want something new. <clears throat> I want something refreshing, exciting, something to cleanse my palate at this point. I don't want rehashes and reboots and restarts and we're seeing it ripple throughout television and everything. It, it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Show, shows wear out there. They're welcome. And it's like, uh, yeah, it, it becomes that jump the shark syndrome. Um, That's why I kind of live in the past. You know, you, you get in my vehicle and it's, it's a lot of old punk and very early metal. The, the stuff, my, my comfort foods, the stuff I can lean on the, this that's the grizzled old man talk you know these kids today with their loud music and fast cars <laughs> yeah but we love loud music that's why we have tinnitus <laughs> our ears are ringing like crazy absolutely i still enjoy rocking out i truly do uh slapping that that bass around my neck and headbanging hell yeah Dude, we didn't talk about some of your stuff. I'm assuming because you said you might be fronting a death metal band that you like death metal. But uh, what are some bands that that you crank to? It's it's pretty eclectic. Um, Violent Femmes. I've always been a tremendous Violent Femmes fan. System of a Down. Can't get enough of System of a Down. It oh, pains yeah. me so much that every time I see something come across their feed about a special show or a little tour. That it's always in LA. You always get to go check these guys out whenever you feel like it. <laughs> you never have the opportunity. Um, but yeah, old Metallica, Iron Maiden. For me as a bass player, when I was young, when, when I was just starting to pl play bass and was just getting into metal, 
it was incredible to pick up uh, the the dust jacket to an Iron Maiden album and see that Steve Harris, the bass player, wrote the majority of the songs. Mm-hmm. It gave me so much confidence as a bass player and as a musician to say, oh, he's not just the guy supporting the rhythm section. You can, you know, take on whatever responsibilities you want. And uh, it allowed me to spread my wings. And, and with this first band that I fronted, um, the, the death metal band, I wrote all the lyrics and the majority of the music. And it was very liberating. And uh, again, very taxing on the throat, on the ears. Uh, we, we were young and, and reckless and, it would be interesting to see it come back. Uh, I, I think, you know, metal is a genre that hasn't gone away quite yet. So uh, we'll see. Maybe we'll do a little test, throw it up in the cast, see what the listening audience has to say. Yeah, like uh, the metal stuff I like nowadays, like um, Lamb of God, um, Mastodon. Oh, well, Mastodon's not really metal per se anymore. They're more like prog rock. But I like prog rock too. And I was looking back at my vinyl collection. You're saying, oh, yeah, Steve Harris and Iron Maiden and stuff. They just reissued all the Iron Maiden stuff on vinyl, on high-quality vinyl for the first time in years. And I've been collecting those and uh, UK 45s of all the singles. And it's like, wow, I'm becoming a kid again. This is this is so much fun. This is. I have to ask you, seriously, the vinyl thing. I... I... I grew up in the same era you did. I We started with vinyl before moving on to cassette. Um, and I enjoyed listening to it at the time. But is it all as cracked up to be? Is it an audiophile's dream? Or is it more the nostalgia? Bringing back it's it's nostalgia and- plus experience. I think to me, you could sit there and argue that, oh, yeah, it sounds warmer, quote unquote, whatever. Uh, but honestly, because everyone is so addicted to their phones now and on demand and we want it now, 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 hurry, hurry, hurry. Everyone's used to MP3 and streaming and all that. And, and that's the same for me too. But the experience of taking an album out of its jacket, enjoying the artwork or reading the liner notes, putting it on there, put the needle on and listen to it from side one all the way to the end, the way the artist intended, all that stuff. It's like a different kind of experience that, people today not doesn't they don't necessarily have the patience for they just think oh yeah i'm i'm just going to uh stream pandora and open up my browser and check my email and go and of course i do that i actually subscribe to beats music uh rather than pandora which apple owns now but um if i want to have all my albums in the cloud it's just way more convenient to carry it on your phone or your tablet or your your laptop and whatnot but if you want to uh, sit back and experience something put on some headphones and listen to that, that, that occasional crackle and the pop and all that of, of the scratch, not scratches, but uh, you know, the needle on the record and everything and the grooves. And it's just more, and I don't even get high. I just, that for me personally, it's just the experience of just putting on the needle and just like, all right, this is, this is cool. And it does take me back and I do feel nostalgic about it. If I learn anything from watching that 70s show, it's getting high as part of that experience. Well, yeah. If you, I mean, there's a new Pink Floyd album, so hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, here, we have 20-year-old music. Let's put it out. It's like, come on, guys. Do you really need to? Do you really need to? I think uh, ACDC's pretty much done, huh? Yeah, dude. What, Phil Rudd, is? Uh, did he get cleared of the uh, murder for hire charge? 
he got cleared. Um, I do believe there was further investigations going on, but yeah, that's, uh, I was reading an, an interview with Malcolm Young who said they're going to tour in support of this album regardless. You know, they're probably already getting a backup in place that I don't think they anticipate uh, Rudd going on tour with them. But between Rudd and, and you know, with Angus and uh, the dementia and no longer having anything active to do with the band, I don't know how much longer they can keep going either. Um, it, it's pretty wild. And I think uh, you hearken back to this as well to think about how long bands like Metallica and Slayer and Suicidal Tendencies have been around. These guys are they're, they're creeping up to that senior citizen limit. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the new video for their new song? I think it's called Play Ball. It's so bad. It's ter- the worst green screen you've ever seen. It looks like they shot it in 1981, which may be who's, the point. Who's this now? For ACDC, their new for single. ACDC. No, I, I haven't. Um can't really say I've been the biggest ACDC fan. Um, and I know it breaks your heart too, but the same goes for Kiss. I just, I That's love, fine. I love Kiss in, in terms of uh, being a product, something you can market. I, I think that Gene Simmons was brilliant, licensed everything, you know, throw everything at the wall, see what will stick. They, they remind me of professional athletes. Here's an act that makes more annually from merchandise than they do from touring or album sales. Yeah, you have this giant franchise, and they did cross paths with Marvel back in the 70s, and they put their ink, their blood in the ink, and that was a big marketing thing, and it was huge. And to, to get an original copy of the Kiss Marvel comic book, was uh, that was a thing. I remember getting that from a 7-Eleven as a kid, and of course, opening it and, and treating it like trash because I'm a kid and I don't respect my own shit, and like, oh, geez. I have the first Marvel comic Star Wars, literally two feet from my hand and it's something I, I bought on a whim a while back and just never bagged it, never boarded it. it it's got all kind of spine splits and foxing and everything, but that, that's my rag copy. That's my, you know, I can just grab that, pick it up, thumb through it, throw it back on the shelf. Same thing. I, I get my uh, judge dread number one right next to it. And it, it's just a, a thumb through copy. Th- those are two books that I don't have pristine bagged and boarded. I, I still have a little bit of my collection over there. Not as much as I used to have. Um, I know you're still reading. I haven't read in years. The, the the bust of the 90s killed me when there were 30 variant covers in the sketch cover and the chromium cover. And you, the character you were following all of a sudden was popping up in 36 different titles every month. And <laughs> Ash so- can edition. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, number zeros and half editions. Yeah, those Todd McFarlane Spider-Mans, man, they're, they're, they're worth a lot. How about those Death of Superman? Still bagged. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I actually, I did bank on my McFarlane Spider-Mans. I had every single variant, every chase. I had the gold cover. I had the platinum cover. And I sold them as a collection on eBay right at the peak. And I I totally cashed in on those. But (laughs) I have a spawn number one over here. I I occasionally tear pages out and wipe my ass with it when I take a shit. (laughs) I hear he's going to make a new animated series or an animated movie, which... I'd be down for. I thought the HBO series was really good. And of course the live action movie was shit. I don't know how much interest is left in spawn. He, he keeps going back to that, that teat and it's kind of, you know, dried up at this point. Yeah. 
It, it probably is, but maybe he's hoping he'll cash in on the nostalgia factor the way that uh, you get to Transformers and not that Spawn's even in the same league, but Transformers. Love it, hate it. Michael Bay, yada, yada, blah, 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 blah. Let, let, let's hang him high. The, the That is a franchise. Oh, man. They've made so much money with that. Hasbro's just, you know, talk about wiping your ass with dollar bills. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that's really maybe one of the only cool things about nostalgia uh, and uh, this resurgence in superhero popularity is there is a glut of merchandise for the adult market. If you're, if you get a thick wallet and you're a comic fan, it starts getting really thin this time. Everybody gentle giant and, and Hasbro and Mattel and everybody just this phenomenal lineup of, of merchandise. It's, it's insane. Um, you have George Lucas to thank for all that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you said from the uh, everything from the the Gene Simmons School of Merchandising to the George Lucas School of Merchandising is like yeah okay, and you know, now yeah it is it's the best time to be a geek because it's no longer a bad word, uh, yeah people still give cosplayers some crap of course but I mean in general, um, it it doesn't have that bad necessarily connotation obviously Big Bang Theory the success of that show. Uh, how you can go anywhere and see anyone from any walk of life uh, walk in. You know, it's New Comics Day. It's not necessarily little kids that walk in there. It's dentists. It's doctors. It's lawyers. It's it's people in, in three-piece suits going in there and, and picking up multiple copies of, of things. Now, for me, comics, uh, I read on my iPhone or my iPad. I've, I've went digital. Now, years ago, I still have the long boxes. I have all the Sandman, all the Neil Gaiman's, one of my favorite series of all time. I have some of those spawns and all those pointless uh, bagged versions and chromium covers, blah, 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 blah. I went through a lot of, uh, I went through a whole phase of that. But now I'm just like, okay, there, there's a certain point. Maybe it has to do with being in your 40s. You have too much clutter. You got to cut back. There's just not enough room. I know you live in a house, Steve. I live in an apartment and <laughs> space is at a premium. I got to start downsizing and start giving shit away to Goodwill or selling it on eBay or something because all this stuff's just sitting in boxes. And it's sad because you have an incredible collection. You have an entire uncut card sheets of first run uh, Dragon Ball Z series stuff. and Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's tough to part with some of that stuff. Um, you know, I still have a lot, a lot, a lot of anime stuff. It, it's all up in the the attic. Um, it's just, I don't know, it, the hunt, the the experience, uh, getting a lot of it signed by you and, and uh, fellow voice actors. It, it's uh, something you want to kind of hold on to, I guess. Tell that story later on. Hey, this is how I acquired this, and, and check this out. A lot of stuff you have, it's still in the boxes. It's still still in the boxes, yeah. And I wonder if uh, the autograph thing is more sentimental value because there's people that will not pay because there's no way to prove that that's actually signed by the person in question or whatnot. But, uh, I mean... And not just that, you know, part of the sad reality is a lot of people just don't care. And I don't say that to be right. mean or hurtful or cynical, but um, if I have a... Dragon Ball Z DVD and I put it up on eBay, it's going to go for the same price, I think, whether it's signed or not. And that price probably is going to go for three or four dollars. Dude, it was hysterical. The movie Battle of Gods came out in the theaters and they had a premiere at Anime Expo in Los Angeles last summer. And this is the first time 
me as a voice actor got to walk a red carpet. They put a big shindig together and all these autograph hounds that are normally chasing celebrities, they're chasing the voice cast of an anime movie. Like what? And then it's like, come on, man, don't be a dick. Sign this. Sign this. Come on, man. Don't be an asshole. Like, really? And then eBay was flooded. (laughs) eBay was flooded. And people on Twitter linked me to that. It's like, isn't this hysterical? They put you for like $50. Like, dude, I'm an anime video game voice actor. My autograph's not worth anything. If any, I've oversaturated the market for, you know, the past decade plus easily. But I guess the autographs and the the TMZ types and the, the, the paparazzi, they just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. But it's kind of, it's going to be kind of like, um, I just totally lost my thought there. Oh, um, it's it's going to be like a, an Academy Award. It's an honor just being nominated. When you go over to eBay and you say, "Well, that that's a value somebody put on my autograph," it's, it's going to get a little bit a uh, little chest puffing for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I mean, I do voiceover because I do it for the love, and I'm I, I'm able to cobble together a living after years and years of 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 just sticking to the grind and, and, you know, paying your dues like any actor does, whether you're on screen or behind the mic or whatnot. And, you know, I'm very, very blessed to be a part of all these shows and games that I'm a fan of as well. And then I get to travel the world. I get to meet fans and all that. I get to, I get to see what that's like, um, firsthand. And then, and then, wow, that just blows my mind when, when people say, yeah, here, sign this. And then I'm going to go put your little scribble that's not even an actual legible word. But because you signed it and I took a picture of you signing something or attempting to sign it, it's now worth this much. Like, no, it's not. It's really not. <laughs> I keep so- joking. I have my uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon poster and it's signed by um, Julia Adams and Ben Chapman, and unfortunately, we we lost Ben Chapman a few years ago. So yeah. I've always joked, oh, cha-ching, went up in value. And I say, eh, I keep checking Wikipedia for Julia Adams. and She still does autograph shows. They're, they're, they have these, uh, these autograph conventions in Burbank, and she's usually there. There's people from yesteryear, from TV shows and movies that go to these things, and Everybody you can think of from every walk of life, every kind of show. It's like, I want to go watch something from, uh, you know, the Rockford Files or something. I'm like, what? They're there? What? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be different being on the West Coast. You know, I certainly have exposure to things like that over here. So you're in, you're like, what, two hours outside of Boston, yeah? About an hour outside of Boston, depending on how, how fast you go. For me, probably about an hour, yeah. Uh, in in decent traffic. Okay. Do you ever get the big conventions out there, the Comic-Con type shows? It's starting. It certainly is starting. Um, We're very close to Rhode Island, and Rhode Island, uh, this year at their Rhode Island Comic-Con, they were uh, temporarily not shut down by the fire marshal, but they couldn't allow any... Uh, more people to enter the building until people had left. Uh, they didn't anticipate that type of response. This is probably their fifth or sixth year there, but that was big. That They got some A-listers over there. Unfortunately, didn't get to attend, but um, it's what you said earlier about geek not being a slur anymore. Yeah. It's, it's part of who we are now in America, and that em- embracement, that, that acceptance, it allows a con like Comic-Con to establish itself in more and more states. It just keeps that momentum going. 
And it's a beautiful thing. I, I have a friend who's an aspiring artist. And he got a table to share at Comic-Con and drew sketches and get a really good response. So it's something that's beneficial to the entire community more than a, a niche audience. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, San Diego Comic-Con, man, that, that convention alone generates like a billion dollars for the for the local economy. So they're not about to let Comic-Con ever leave that city. You know, people were talking about, oh, it needs to come up to L.A. There's not a venue big enough to house it, first of all. I mean, the one can barely hold it down there with 125,000 plus easily. And we have Anime Boston here. And every year since its inception, Anime Boston has been a tremendous success. And uh, I think this is the year in 2015 we have to do that really big push, that really huge petition to get Kyle Hebert out to Anime Boston. <laughs> yeah, I, I went not this year, but I think the year before. And uh, it was good. It was very well run. But I can only talk about that from the experience of being a guest. I'm so friggin' spoiled uh, being a guest at conventions because you get to you get to bypass all the lines. You, of course, you get the rock star treatment and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, I just want to just go have fun. And people rarely actually watch anime at anime cons. People just go to hang out. A sense of community, a chance of uh, you know, chance in, uh, to meet new people, hang out with friends. Uh, and if you're into the guest, that's just bonus. A lot of people go to see, you know, the dance. They go to just get their rave on or whatever, or meet some of the Japanese creators or the English voice actors. It's just a, a big hodgepodge of, of things going on in J-pop culture and all that sort of thing. I think it, it's, it's really cool. And I've been to conventions of all sizes, whether they're Comic-Con type events, video game type events, or anime type events, everything from... You know, 100 to 200 people max to, I've been to Comic-Con, which is 125,000 plus. Seen every size of it, and it's it's pretty wild. Uh, you know, chaotic, of course. So if you're like agoraphobic or something, it's like, maybe it's not wise to go to some of the bigger shows. Maybe Anime Boston shouldn't be on your ticker. Maybe you should consider something uh, like a local anime club thing held at a university or, or, or a smaller event. But, um, yeah, the Comic-Con stuff is... is, is Pretty wild and exhausting, too. I got a good workout just, just walking across two football field size length uh, exhibit hall stuff going on, man. It was it was just nuts. And, you know, you, you develop relationships when you attend these different conventions. And it's always great to come back, reconnect, embrace. Um, I, I've been fortunate enough to, in the past, uh, we got to frequent Dallas quite a bit. And and you make those relationships. You end up spending more time hanging out in a bar or in a restaurant with your friends than you do back at the convention. And uh, it'd be great to, to rekindle that. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge to all those uh, con guest uh, appearance people's listening. <laughs> so hopefully someone's there listening to out there in the Smodco world uh, and, and people that aren't because uh, – if, if you guys are just tuning in now, we actually are a podcast that existed from 2005 to 2010. Um, but um, we didn't have the, 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 the coattails or, the, or anything of Kevin Smith, anything of that regard. Nowhere near that thing. We, uh, but, uh, we're glad that we're back. And uh, you've heard us talking about all these, these various things that kind of fuel our geeky hearts and passion and all that, and uh, we're really, really excited to to be back. I guess you could probably tell that we're both uh, Star Wars fans, old school stuff. We wanted to talk about, of course, The Force Awakens. You got J.J. Abrams, you got um, 
the return to practical effects. I mean, my God, after a decade of of Lucas in charge making, you know, eye candy, admittedly, uh, but dramatically lacking uh, in every other... I mean, he could take someone who really is a good actor and get this really shitty performance out of him. It's like, come on, Sam Jackson. Mace Windu is like the most wooden thing Sam Jackson could ever do in his career. Um but now it's in it's it's out of the creator's hands, which it's shocking that, you know, everyone's celebrating that. It's like, get that out of the hands of the creator. We need to put this somewhere else. Uh, I think everybody needs to watch the making of The Empire Strikes Back to yeah. see them on set for the, the Hoth footage and to see, you know, they were filming in a real blizzard and these actors were out there really taking great peril to their, their uh, well-being to get these scenes filled. And, and, and you get that genuine response mark hamill in this uh, simulated bog that they built on set with real snakes and real spiders and everything um then you flash forward to the prequels and like, as you said you know everything's in front of the green screens and the blue screens you don't have an environment you don't have that peril you don't have that uh spontaneity and it's hard to capture that without being in the, that environment what we've seen teased from abrams so far goes back to that old george lucas style that's 1976 out in the middle of the desert really filming this stuff and being out in that that high heat and um that is the grounding i think of star wars that that's what i think us as kids watched and and it, it even though it took place a long time ago in a galaxy far far away there was enough of that reality where you could fantasize about living in that world and the prequels i think introduced that element of almost detachment it was so implausible so surreal that you didn't feel you could live in that world yeah um and and having People like Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, and Mark Hamill returned to their roles. They had nothing at all to do with the prequels. So they're marching into the production of Episode 7 going, all right, this is just like it was. When This is what we're used to, practical sets and effects and everything. And, oh, my God, the Millennium Falcon just fell on my door and broke my fucking foot. Great. <laughs> now, be honest. How do you feel, uh, you know, as somebody who star saw Star Wars when it first came out and grew up in that environment, grew up in that, steeped in that nostalgia how do you feel about the return of that trio? Uh, I've got a really good feeling because I think J.J. Abrams is super, super talented. I love his movies. I thought his take on Star Trek was pretty much a Star Wars version of Star Trek. That's what made it more accessible. That's what made it, you know, you know, make it a prequel series. Make these characters younger so they have more appeal to a more broad audience. And it worked. I think it paid off. Um, so I am I'm really excited to see how is he going to differentiate stylistically, you know, something as as fluid and dynamic as his Star Wars reboot, a Star Trek reboot, and where what is he going to do to to make it feel nostalgia? Is it going to have the old, you know, the 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 wipes and the dissolves and the transitions? Is that all going to feel like old school or is it going to have a different kind of visual flair? Um but I'm on board with this again because you have, you know, just like you see the drone footage. Now, again, I usually avoid the spoiler stuff, but you know, seeing pictures on Twitter that you just can't avoid. It's like, oh, that's cool. That that that's aerial footage. That's a practical. That's a Millennium Falcon. That's an X-wing. That's the amazing. Falcon, the, the Falcon in full scale next to an, uh, an X-wing in full scale. Absolutely, that's breathtaking. Yeah, and you know, Kevin Smith, he he got to to go out there and see it. He got a personal tour from J.J. Abrams, and he couldn't talk about what he saw exactly, but you know, it made him tear up. So it's like, oh man, how cool would that be? 
I can't wait. I'm excited. I'm excited for the continuation of the story. I can't say I'm necessarily excited for the filler films that are coming out in between the the sequels. Yeah, if you made, say, a Yoda film or a Mace Windu film or even a Boba Fett. I love Boba Fett as a character in the old trilogy, not so much in the prequels. Uh, you know, But he had that mystery about him. If you start filling in too many gaps, it loses that mystery and it's not as fun anymore. Um the thing Wolverine. that does, well, yeah, I mean, the thing that does interest me about the spinoff films, they haven't announced which one he's attached to, but Gareth Edwards, who just did the new Godzilla movie, that excited me because I thought the new Godzilla was awesome. Some people thought, oh, yeah, it's, it's crap. There's only six minutes of Godzilla in it, and it's two hours. It's like, well, have you guys not seen a Godzilla movie before? Do you guys know that Godzilla is, it's all about the money shot, man. It's all about lead up. How about Jaws? Jaws is hardly in the film if you really, really think about it. So is that tease for the Rancor film? <laughs> is it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I personally would champion to see a crossover between Godzilla and Pacific Rim. I mean, I know Pacific Rim two is going to happen, and even three. So yay Guillermo del Toro, uh, yay Gareth Edwards. I mean, yay for Godzilla two. They even announced you know you're going to get Mothra and Rodan and and King Ghidra in there, and all you know all the all the other monsters that. Uh, the people that like the giant man in rubber suits genre will get, and I'm sure they're going to listen to it because yay, the power of social media, people scream and they scream loud when they don't like something. <laughs> I'll tell you, you know, um, there's a lot I don't like, and that would be episodes amongst itself. So I'm going to rattle off everything I don't like, but one of my guiltiest pleasures in recent history is Pacific Rim. It is such a silly film, but the action is just so on point yeah, it, it, it's every little boy's fantasy. That's what you want to see: this this giant robot storming through a city, fighting a giant monster. It, it was just, um, again, it brings back that innocence uh, growing up watching the the anime we didn't know was anime. It's taking old school mecha anime and giant robot shows, and of course the the kaiju monsters stuff, and and of course the the cutting edge. Granted, CG, not so much practical, but still, I mean, it looked so amazing, even in 3D, and even though 3D is kind of a gimmick, and that was a post-converted film. It looked amazing in IMAX 3D. Just, It's a wonderful thing. It's uh, it's something that I, I love watching. It's one of those reference discs you just put in. It's like, all right, I know, I'm know, i going to queue it up to this scene and just like, watch these giant motherfuckers just kick the shit out of each other. <laughs> it's like, woohoo, yeah. I'm so excited for the sequel because there's no way it can disappoint. The, the first one established what it is and that it is by no stretch of the imagination meant to be taken seriously, that there's no way a sequel could fail. No, no, I'm on board. But I do get why people who thought Godzilla was going to be like Pacific Rim, why they were let down, because the moods are totally different. It's not the same kind of of film. So I understand on the one hand I still, I still think people were a little bit too harsh on it, but I appreciate them both for different reasons. Pacific Rim is more enthralling, more exciting and everything, but you throw Godzilla in the mix, man. God, that'd be just so awesome. Because I think the same studio, isn't Legendary, that um, handles those? Films, yeah. Yeah, if they, if, they, if they joined forces, I mean, anything's possible, man. We're going to see Batman and Superman on screen, uh, you know? Uh, <laughs> for better or worse. For better or worse. Hey, hey, we said this about Heath Ledger. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, okay. So, so Zack Snyder didn't have the biggest uh, successful run in all of history, but uh, I like his films. I happen to think Ben Affleck is a good actor, and I think he can pull a good performance out. Um, oh, this uh, bringing it full back, full circle back to the Marvel slate. It's like, why did they announce so many movies? I think they did that because DC announced so many movies just like two weeks before Marvel did. Which is kind of funny because in DC announcing their movies, it was just a show that they were trying, was still trying to catch up to Marvel. I don't, I don't know if DC's universe, cinematic universe, will ever be able to really pull in the, the kind of numbers and, and, and the kind of prestige that Marvel's established. A lot of it still feels like that, you know, again, still trying to catch up, still trying to ride the, the coattails that Marvel and Sony and Fox had established because outside of the, the Nolan Batman films, as far as the recent DC films go, they haven't really been blockbusters. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see what it does. I know I'm going to be there day one for probably all these films because I'm that kind of nerd. I don't know about you, Steve. You you wait for Blu-rays or you, you try to trek out there with your kids? I'll trek out for the Marvel films. Yeah. I, I haven't with the DC films, and I really don't anticipate doing that. Ah, okay. Fair enough. Well, uh, we're about at the hour mark, boys and girls. So uh, there it is. It's in the can. Big Ball Broadcast. If you would like to tweet at us, please do. Questions, comments, suggestions, topics. I mean, there's so much shit we haven't even scratched the surface of. People uh, gave us all sorts of topics to talk about and we hadn't even talked about, you know, uh, Gamergate, um, you know, cosplay drama, uh, the convention stories. uh, There's all sorts of thing and different directions we can go, which is luckily, you know, we're a podcast. We're going to come back, uh, hopefully knock on wood, uh, a, a weekly sort of thing here on Smodco. And, and, and if you like what you heard, tell your friends and, uh, get, keep those download numbers up so we can continue cranking out more. Cause, uh, we love talking about this stuff and we're glad to, to sit here and, and, and ha- gather around people of like minds. That was just so touching. I, I was, I was at a loss for words. <laughs> oh, that was a, that was a gentle pause. Either he doesn't know what to say, or what I said was so awesome that it we can so only profound. just end the show. Absolutely. So, <laughs> having said all of that, yes, yes. At BB Broadcast is our Twitter handle. Uh, you can we can tweet links to our Facebook page uh, if you want to email us and you're like allergic to social media, which some people are. You can always email us and send an MP3 comments. You know, if you have a you know the equivalent of a voicemail, just record your question, topic, or whatever you want to discuss or your opinion on something, some commentary. We'd love to gather that and, and play it on a future show. And you could do that with the Big Ball Broadcast at gmail.com. Make sure and th- include the in front of there. The Big Ball Broadcast at gmail.com and on Twitter at BB Broadcast. And that's about it, I guess. You got anything else, Steve? I don't. My, I, there is so much, actually, but we're just going to have to save that for the next episode. That's right. Okay, so until next time, this is Kyle Abair. And this is Otherworld Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Mike Dent and Francisco Franco. Music heard in this podcast provided by Perimeter of the Void. Follow us at BB Broadcast on Twitter and email us at thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com.
This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com. Ring in 2015 Smodco style with Hollywood Babylon New Year's Babble Eve. Two shows at the Brea Improv. Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman will recount the year's biggest celebrity news with their own unique spin. Snag a complimentary glass of champagne and toast with the host with the most. New Year's Babble Eve at the Brea Improv. Go to csmod.com for tickets.